I think sometimes managers don't have quote unquote time to do these check-ins. And that is the biggest mistake when you have a new employee. Because by the time you have the time to do the check-in, the employee has gone off the rails and is doing something different than you want them to do at six months. And you're like, what the heck happened? Well, what happened is you didn't build a relationship with them. Hi, and welcome to the From MD to Entrepreneur podcast, an inside look on how to become a physician entrepreneur. In this podcast, I talk to Kim, who is an expert on creating a compassionate company culture. We talk all about how to create a great culture, how to deal with employees when they have bad days, bad weeks, bad years, and the best way to let someone go if you have to fire them. Hey, Kim, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? So happy to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super excited to chat. Uh, We were talking a little bit offline about how to create compassionate uh, workplace. And a, a lot of uh, companies are, it, it's weird. It's We're hearing a lot of layoffs in early 2023. But we're also hearing how hard it is to hire people and retain people. So we have a small company, we were talking about it, a uh, private equity company, but I really want to create a company which, uh, you know, not necessarily feels like a family, but people look forward to working at. And even when maybe their time is gone and they moved on, that they look fondly at their experience at our company. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a thing that many organizations really want. I think that what organizations miss when we talk about compassion in the workforce or compassion in the workplace is it's not a policy, right? It's not something you say, we're, you know, you can have, you can have it as part of your values for sure. But how do you actually take that compassion and be compassionate in the workplace? Um, I think that most managers and employees feel like you can't be compassionate and productive. So they like to separate, like, if I'm compassionate, that means I have to listen to you, put myself in your shoes. And then all of a sudden I feel really bad and I can't ask you to get the work done. But that's actually exactly the opposite of what happens when you are compassionate with an employee is you do get to really understand them and look at them and ask them to do work that 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 they want to do and that they kind of need that they need to do and that you feel good about them doing. So I am definitely going to dig into how to do that because I would <laughs> love to know but would love to talk a little bit about your backstory, how you got into this, how you started talking about this uh, and you know what got you here. Sure. So um my backstory is um not great. Um, I, my husband was diagnosed with stage four cancer, healthy, athletic, organic eating. You know, we live in LA. And if you think about the typical LA couple, other than the fact that I'm actually black and not blonde with blue eyes, um, (laughs) you know, that's sort of what we looked like. Um, he, we went to the doctor's office. He was having trouble breathing. We went to the doctor's office. The doctor took an x-ray. Why? Because our other doctor had told us to get an x-ray, but we were like, oh, it's no big deal. We'll just kind of wait. And when the x-ray came back, he had these spots all over his lungs that were causing him to um, not be able to breathe. And they don't diagnose, like, you know, they can't, some cancers are blood cancers. They can diagnose you with a blood test. This one, they needed to do a biopsy. So a couple of days later, he was really having a hard time breathing. We pushed up the biopsy and 
uh, turned out it was stage four large B-cell lymphoma. And it was a very aggressive type. And it was the kind that has been working very steadily within the next two to three weeks would have killed him. So we felt really lucky. But um, when he was diagnosed, you know, we didn't know anything about cancer. We didn't know anything about chemo. We knew of those things, but we didn't know that experience. And I, you know, he told, the doctor told my husband he wasn't going to be able to work and the treatment was going to take six to seven months. And they continued talking, but I stopped listening because we didn't have six to seven months of savings in our account at that time. And I was just, I was frozen. I was freaked out. I was terrified. I didn't, you know, I knew very clearly that my husband's job was to fight the cancer and my job was to figure out everything else. And I didn't know what we were going to do. And then a couple of days later, my husband got a phone call from his boss and his boss said, we're going to cover your salary until you get back. And there was, you know, it's an incredible gift and not all our companies are able to do this, but that was where I first got the inkling of what organizations can do to support an employee dealing with cancer. Um, So after that, I mean, I remember my husband saying, this is the last place I'm going to work. Like he was, he really liked working there beforehand, but after the kind of support that they showed us, he just kept declaring, this is the last place where I'm going to work. This is the last place I'm going to work. And unfortunately, the cancer came back two and a half years later and he died. And the school where he was, was the last place that he worked. Um, I ended up going back to work into HR. And I sort of thought the very first job I had was working for a company where the president's wife had cancer. And then she died. And I thought, okay, well, the company will come in, they'll support him, they'll help him do the things that 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 you know my husband's company did, and they didn't. And so that was the first foray into understanding that most organizations don't know how to support employees when they're going through a really difficult time. They, you know, they'll send them to <clears throat> very common response for manager is check in with HR, we've got an EAP, an employee assistance program. And some of the employee assistance programs are fantastic, but they don't help the manager manage the team while they're in crisis. And if you have an employee who is all of a sudden out, if you have an employee who dies, if you have an employee who is can only work three days a week, if you have an employee who's grieving, right, you have a crisis on your hand. You have an employee engagement, employee productivity crisis on your hand. And managers aren't equipped to understand how to work with their team, how to work with that employee. Um, so I discovered this, you know, through my HR career, you know, I started out and just kind of kept finding these little kept finding managers didn't know what to do, started coaching them, started talking to them. Um, And that's how my company launched is just by helping managers one-on-one, helping teams, helping HR teams uh, figure out what do we do in this situation so that as a company, we can do well and we can take care of our employee at the same time. Kim, what would you say that if some manager said, uh, you know, our job is to help our clients, it's to help our investors. And this isn't, you know, this is charity work. This is for a church. Uh, what would you tell those people? 
I would send them back to all the studies that have been done by Harvard Business Review, by by Ford, uh, by Forbes, um, by you know Pew, Charitable Trust, by all the big organizations who are measuring employee engagement, and what they have shown over and over and over again. When you trust your employees, when you have a team that trusts and respects yourself, they will work really hard. And what managers don't understand is when you have a diagnosis on your team, your team is looking at you and they're deciding whether or not to trust you more or to trust you less. So it may feel, I mean, I think it feels touchy-feely, but what we're seeing, you know, what we're seeing right now is the touchy-feely is what drives employee engagement. It's not the hard managers like you got to do this. It's the one who says, hey, I just want to check in with you. How's the dog? Like, I know the dog had the surgery the other day. How's it going? Right. That's the manager that people want to work for and that will people use will employees will use discretionary output to be productive. Since you've been listening to this podcast episode this far, I hope you've gotten a ton of value from it. It would mean the world to me if you could send this to one other person so that they could benefit from it, too. You mentioned earlier about translating your values into action. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I like telling the story about Enron, right? We've all heard the scandal of Enron, but one of their pillars is integrity. And uh, of course, we all know that they didn't act with integrity, actually <laughs> right. the opposite. And a lot of people have these kind of lofty goals of values, but how do you how do you translate something into compa- like something like compassion or taking care of your employees? Could you give me some uh, some examples and maybe people that you coached have put this into action? Sure. So obviously, you know, it's 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 always starts at the top. But I have seen positions where managers have sort of built this amazing little community within their team and what the other, what the rest of the organization does, doesn't, doesn't happen. It doesn't, doesn't happen in the, in the team. So I think the first thing, and I think managers forget this is like your manager, you have a bad day, you have a good day, you are in charge of things, you need to get things done, you use the bathroom, you need to eat. Like we forget that we 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 see ourselves as managers as normal people, but what we forget is our team sees us as someone who gives them direction or helps them do better work. And I think sometimes people get promoted into the manager position and don't realize this. So your team is always watching you always watching you and what you do and what you say and how you say it really matters. So if you want to put like compassion on the team, then a great example is I know a manager who, and there are people on the team who don't necessarily like this, but they do it because it's part of the culture. They do check-ins every Monday morning and the check-ins aren't, what are you going to work on this week? The check-ins are on a scale of one to 10, where are you emotionally today? Right? So, and, and the manager had to go first for a very long time and he had to be honest. He had to say, you know what, y'all, I'm at a four and I don't want to get in why I'm at a four, but right now I just let you know, I'm not very happy with my wife. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and so there's that honesty and that vulnerability and you don't, he didn't go into what he was unhappy with his wife about. He didn't share his whole heart, but he just kind of made a little light of, 
It's a four. Everyone knows that something happened between him and his wife that weekend that, you know, he's dealing with. And just that simple check-in changed the couch, changed the, the way the team went about its work. Because when they went to the manager for help, they were like, hey, I, I, I want to ask you this question, um, but I, I did the research. Here's here's where I'm struggling. So they went into him with more of a more of a sort of a plan in place or sort of this is a very specific question that they needed to ask, as opposed to going into them going, I don't know how to do this. I need your help. Right. And so so they're they're much more conscious of where of where he is. They would give him sort of a pass. You know, if he's a little snippy, you get a pass. Right. If he's snippy all the time and people don't know why he's snippy all the time, that's not a pass. That's the boss who you don't go and talk to because you're afraid you're going to get yelled at. Nobody likes to get yelled at. No one likes to get not even yelled at. No one likes to be told that they're wrong and meanly, you know, so it really is about walking the talk and doing it yourself. And that's not easy. I want to be really clear. I mean, people are like, they're sprouting stuff out. Just, just do. There is no just do in these situations. It requires you to be vulnerable. It requires you to be honest. It requires you to, to apologize, not with a but, but with a, I'm sorry, I did this period. I shouldn't have done that, period. Not, I shouldn't have done that, but I was going through a really tough time. None of that. So it takes a manager with a a decent level of emotional intelligence um, to really be able to carry through the values that they want on the team and to walk them through them all the time. So does that give you a sort of an example of? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you you probably shouldn't say, I'm sorry, you got offended. Yes. Never say that. Oh my God. Because then, so that, thank you so much for bringing that up, Renee, because yeah, it's one of those things people like, that's what we hear people do. I'm sorry if I offended anyone, all of a sudden that puts the blame of the offense on the person who was offended. Right. And so it doesn't, you're not apologizing. You're basically saying, sorry, that's your problem. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it's really important that you say, I'm sorry that what I said was offensive, not offended you if you were offended. I'm sorry what I said was offensive. Good point. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, and so how, so tell me a little bit about, um, and I, I know you don't necessarily talk about hiring, but how do you, when you're talking to potential client, uh, potential employees, how do you kind of integrate this into because uh, this is a this is a big selling point, right? And especially in this time where it's so hard to create great talent, uh, yes. Poach them from this other great place, yes. Uh, so how do you how do you let them know without being like we're very compassionate here, you know? right? Because like, right. <laughs> anyone that tells me that, I'm assuming you're not compassionate at all, right? 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 So so I'm dating, and uh, anyone on the app who says no drama. That means they create yeah. the drama. So like, I just swipe left. Um, so yes, you're absolutely right about that. And let's be honest, hiring is dating, mm-hmm. right? You're mm-hmm. trying to suss out whether or not this is going to be a match. Um, the first thing I always have managers do is you need to come up with a set of questions that you're going to ask every single candidate. And in those set of questions, and, and you rate them. So you have a set of questions and you have a set of answers that you're looking for. And I'm not talking about specific, but for instance, um, when you ask an employee, um, tell me about a time you were having a hard time at work. What did you do? 
right? So that leaves that leaves the potential client, the potential hiree to answer in all sorts of different ways. They might say, well, actually my dad died and um, I was at work and people didn't seem to understand what was happening. And I just started to get more and more angry and I ended up quitting that job. That tells you a little bit about them and how they handle a situation like that. So you want to when, when you write down those questions, you want to make sure that you're including questions that reflect who you are as an organization, because you want to make sure that those responses are going to are, are what you're looking for. Um, so I think that's that's the first thing. The second thing is straight up tell them and give them an example. Um, in the DEI world, the best practices are the first call that you have with an employee is that you sit and you explain to them the job and you tell them about the culture of the company. So there's no more kind of like, oh, you have to do the research. You need to know all this stuff because some people don't know that they need to do the research. And if you're looking to hire a diverse group of people, you need to give those people an opportunity to 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 work for you. So tell them and give them an example of what compassion looks like they are probably going to, some are going to believe you and some aren't, and that's okay. Then you start with your set of questions and those questions are based around, some of those questions are going to be based around, you want skill, the, the skills that you're looking for, or the ability, you really, what you're looking for is the ability for someone to skill up. So not necessarily, they don't have to have all the skills that you want, but you're looking for someone who can walk into the position and learn what they need to learn and are enthusiastic about learning. Um, and then you also want someone who's going to, I don't like to do culture culture fit because that sometimes takes a lot of people out of the running. But what you're looking for is sometimes culture fit slash culture add, someone who's mm. going to add to your culture, right? So, so as someone who answers that same question, my dad died and I, the day I got back, you know, the company was great. They let me take two weeks off. Um, the day I got back, I came into my manager and I said, I, um, I don't think I'm going to be able to do the kind of work. My manager and I sat down and we came up with a work plan that allowed me to ease back into work. Cause I knew I wasn't going to be right. So you're looking for someone who has, she's showing compassion for herself or himself. And, or you're looking for someone who says, yeah, my boss noticed that I wasn't doing great work and came to me and, and asked, you know, what's going on instead of getting mad at me, talk to me and ask what's going on. And from then on in, I realized how important it is to kind of take a step back when someone barks at me at work or someone's short with me, because it may not be me at all. It may be so that, so all of a sudden you find yourself a compassionate person. So I think that would be one of the hot, I would, the, the, one of the biggest, um, I'm, out of words right now. Um, <laughs> things I would say is definitely come up with a series of questions you're going to ask every single candidate. I'm sure you talk to, especially when you're uh, coaching uh, managers about being compassionate to themselves. I would love to talk because uh, a lot of times you have to let go of people. You have to do things that, uh, you know, especially because uh, some, it's someone's livelihood. It doesn't matter if there's a good reason. Um, it's still difficult, um, yes. and a lot of in medicine we talk about caring for the caretakers. Uh, yes, when someone potentially uh, has a patient who loses their life, it's very tough on them, and people a lot of people don't necessarily consider worrying about them. Uh, right. So, would love to talk about maybe some self compassionate tips that you have for uh, for people that are in charge of other people. 
So I have a, something called the North Star Strategy, and it goes through five steps that I work for, with managers through. And the first one is, you know, know what to say. And so when you're firing someone, you know, you don't want to be cold or hard or mean. You just want to be like, this is what's happening. I know this is a shock. Um, but you also don't want to, and you also don't want to make it about yourself, which is the same thing. If you're dealing with an employee who's grieving or has cancer, you don't make it about yourself. You're not going to tell them about your uncle's best friend's neighbor's brother who had cancer twice and beat it. You're making it all about them. So I think that's the first thing is make sure you're making it all. Don't I, when managers say this is really hard for me and I've coached managers to make sure never, ever to say that when you're firing someone, cause it's not about you right now. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing I do with managers, and I think this is this really ties in nicely with what you're talking about, is I have people walk through what do they feel about what's happening. So as a manager, before you go in that room to let go of somebody, how do you feel? Right. And just tapping into that, there is no right way to feel. A feeling is just a feeling. Right. We judge our feelings, which turns them into right or to wrong. But a feeling is just a feeling. I feel nervous. I feel anxious. I feel really sad. I might be like, going, I'm afraid that this person you might have to let go. You have to, it's a friend, you know, in HR that happens quite a bit. So it's a friend I have to let go of. Their friendship's going to be gone. I'm nervous. Um, maybe I'm a little relieved because I've been trying to get this person out of here for a while. Right. So there's a whole gamut of feelings. And then it's also time to take a look at your stereotypes. What is it that you think the person is going to do during the firing? And this is especially true if you're a new manager. Because if you're a new manager the, if, and you've never been fired, the only ideas you have about what it's like to be fired are either from your friend's stories or from TV. <laughs> And TV isn't always a great, you know, like we're talking, you know, you, you TikTok, you see the guy getting fired and he picks up the chair and chucks it and breaks the window mm -hmm. and, you know, the mic drop, right? Mm -hmm. So we, those are all the images we have that if we're not aware of what they are, if we haven't really been honest about what they are, they can really affect how we talk to the employee. I have done a ton of firing as an HR. I've been in HR for 10 years. I cannot tell you how many people I fired. And no one ever has stomped out of the room. I've never had a chair uh, fly across the room. I have been sworn at, you know, and I, they, you know, we do, sometimes we have to, you know, depending on the organization, we have the protocol is to go to their desk and quietly get their stuff, the things that they need away from out of their desk and give it to them. And they leave, you know, you know, that type of thing. Um, but, but so really take a good look at what you think is going to happen. Right. And then set your intention of what you want to happen. Um, so I think that, I think those, that's a really important piece because we have ideas that we're so unaware of. And once we air those, once we clear that idea out, once we're honest about it, and this is usually, I have them do free rights. So I'll say, here's the topic, 17 minutes, go. And the only rule is you can't stop typing or you can't stop writing. That's the rule. So, you know, I we usually do a little less than 17 minutes because it's it can be very daunting, but you <laughs> want to get past the editor, right? There's a piece of us that doesn't want to be, we want to be the good managers. So we don't want to talk about how relieved we are that they're leaving. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you got to get to get past your editor where you can write, God, 
I'm so glad this person is going. <laughs> it's such a pain in the ass working with him. She never did this. He didn't do that. Right. And that's okay. And then when you go into it, then you become, so it, it, it's taking those pieces and just letting them be. There's no wrong answer. And when you get to that place where there's no wrong answer, it allows for a little bit of compassion to come in and allows for the compassion to come in for yourself. Being a manager is a hard job. It's a really hard job and it's a hard job that most people aren't trained for. And I think about this now looking at you, it's just like parenting, right? There's, there's a ton of TikToks, ton of information, ton of channels, all ton of information on how to do it, but actually doing it and taking the steps of, do I sleep with my child? Do I not sleep with my child? When do I feed them? What do I feed them? How do I discipline them? When do I discipline them? All those things are left up to you. And so, you know, and your full job as a parent or as a manager is to grow people, right? Is to get them to a level where they don't need you anymore, where you get to push them. I mean, I consider my job as a manager is to promote and get everyone off on my team. Right. So, so, you know, to get them to grow and become these amazing people so that they can go out into the world and spread their goodness in their own special way. Um, so it's really important. I mean, I keep, you know, it's, I just want to acknowledge that it's hard. It's not easy to be compassionate and it's, it's, and it's harder. I find for us to be compassionate with ourselves. Um, this is a trial and error business, just like, oh my gosh, there's so many parallels between this and parenting, <laughs> you know, I mean, parenting is trial and error. You try something, it doesn't work. So you try it again, maybe try it a third time, third time, you know, so it's the same thing. You, there's no right way to fire anyone. If you're a good manager, it will always suck. It will just always suck. And once you feel like you figured it out, you have a second child and none of it works. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or it's like you get them the sleep schedule. You're like, woohoo, they're sleeping. And then they get sick and the sleep schedule goes off and you got, you're starting from ground zero again. Yeah, yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of regression or completely different personality or exactly. they love this thing three months ago and now they abhor it, you know? <laughs> it's so true. And that's, you know, you take that with an employee who's, they come on, they're really excited to be there and everything's going great. Then you notice they're starting to make some errors. So you get in there and you talk to them about it and it seems to fix it. Then all of us, you know, then three weeks later or six months later, you're looking at the employee and you're like, this is not the person I hired. What happened? Right. And we tend to blame that on the employee, but we really, as managers, it's our responsibility to motivate them to do the work that we need them to do. And so you can blame it on the employee unless there's like schizophrenia running around in their mm -hmm. brain. Um, it, you know, it's it's not about how they've changed. It's about how you didn't you didn't tap into what what you needed to do to motivate them. So that's a that's a great topic. So what happens, there's this six month and year. You know, actually, you're, you're lucky if you get two performance reviews a year. Once, yes. usually one. Yes. Right. But how do you kind of break it down into more achievable milestones or check-ins? What's your kind of system for that? So you don't you catch things and yeah. it doesn't become six months later. You're like, yeah, you got to go. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Well, um, I'm a big fan of Adobe. Adobe redid their performance reviews several, like back in 2017 or 18. Um, 
so what I what I firmly believe in is first of all, when you hire someone, before you hire them, please have a 90-day plan. Mm-hmm. And that 90-day plan is the first 30 days. What do you want to say about what they've learned? Because remember, the first 30 days, it's basically your skill dumping. Mm-hmm. And your and your um uh, what's the other word? I'm um your your skill dumping, your cultural you know, bringing them into the cultural uh, community. And you're also really beginning to understand um, what they can or cannot do. So you're teaching them about the software. You're teaching them about all the processes. You're checking in with them constantly. How did it go today? Do you have any questions? How did it go yesterday? Do you have any questions? Again and again and again. I often find that managers stop asking if the employee has any questions in the first week. And that's the exact wrong time to stop asking because don't forget the employees trying to impress you. Yeah. You've just hired, you've just hired them. They feel really good. They're earning a salary that they're very happy and they're trying to impress you. They're trying to show you. So they're not going to say anything's wrong probably for the first week at all. They're going to be like, Mm -hmm. yeah, in their minds, they're over their head and they're like, I don't get what's going on, but they figure they're going to figure it out. They're not going to come to you. So keep asking that question. So having that really clear 30 day plan and what it is you want to say about what they've learned at the end of the 30 days. And then at the end of the 30 days, talking to them about some project that you really want them to work on at 90 days. So to complete at 90 days. Um, I do, so I figure out what my team usually needs, but I'm a big proponent of just the morning check-in, right? So I loved the, um, you know, the, the, where are you this week, you know, on a scale of one to 10, you know, emotionally, and then the check-in moves to, okay, what do you have on your plate today? Right. And it's not, and it's not me making sure they're getting work done. It's just like, what are you doing today? Right. And what do you want to get done today? Um, we also have, um, we do something at the end of every Friday, we do learnings and wins. So what did you learn about yourself, about your work? Where did you screw up? Or what did you, where did you do really well? And what's your win this week? Right. Um, so I think that's really, I think sometimes managers don't have quote unquote time to do these check-ins. And that is the biggest mistake when you have a new employee. Because by the time you have the time to do the check-in, the employee has gone off the rails and is doing something different than you want them to do at six months. And you're like, what the heck happened? Well, what happened is you didn't build a relationship with them where they, you could trust, where they can trust you to come to you with issues that they're kind of trying to figure out. We all want to figure things out ourselves. We all do. We feel very proud of ourselves. But in a corporate, in a company, you can't figure everything else by yourself. You just can't. It doesn't work that way. Um, so I think that would be the first thing. And then have a six-month check-in. You know, is this job, is what you're doing what you thought you would be doing when we hired you? Yes, no, where, where is it different? Um, you know, going back to the dating thing, <laughs> everybody loves to talk about themselves. You know, one of my favorite questions, I mean, I could get a guy, I can talk, I can be on a date with a guy and get him to talk about himself the whole time and they won't know anything about me. So you want to kind of consider that when you're, when you're, um, and and they think I'm great. That's the thing. They're like, oh my God, she's great. She's wonderful. I want to go out with her again. They know nothing about me. I talking to her. She's so interesting. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, it's the same thing with the employee. Get them to talk to you. Mm. Ask them for their opinion. Mm -hmm. You know, ask them how it's going. What you, how could, you know, how can I, what, you know, do you like our meetings? How can I improve my meetings? 
every employee has an opinion. You don't have to follow every opinion, but you can certainly get their opinion and thank them for their opinion and say, huh, I didn't think about that. What a great idea. Right. In your head, you've got three bins. You've got the, oh my gosh, that is a really good idea. You've got the, huh, okay. And then you got the hell no bucket, but they don't need to know which bucket you're putting it in. Right. They don't. Um, so I think that's the other thing. And I think the other piece that managers really miss, um, miss out on, and that's especially because of COVID is how important community is. And the employees, it's one of those things where, and when you're learning development, you don't go in and you don't ask the employee what they want to learn. I mean, you can, because they'll, they'll give you some information, but it's not, they don't always know what they need and what they want. Um, and, and let me take that back because people do know what they want. They don't always know what they need to do a better job. And the same thing goes when you are, um, I just totally lost my train of thought. The same thing goes when you are thinking about, um, about, you know, hybrid work, right? So employees, look, everyone was more productive and they're doing COVID. We all know this. Um, but the thing that's happening is we're seeing an increase in depression, an increase in anxiety, um, an increase, an increase in kind of not caring about work. And, and I know, I mean, this has yet to be brought up. They're studying it right now, but it's because we're lacking community. We spend all this time at work. And when you're hybrid or when you're remote, you actually have to work to make community. It doesn't just happen because people are gathering at the kitchen anymore or because you're having this, you know, all hands meeting in a, in, in a, 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 the same space. So managers often feel weird by, by um, you know, building community. They're like, no, we're going we're gonna to do lunch today together and we're going to play some games over Zoom. And people are like, eh, I don't, you know, I got work to do. I don't really want to do this. But what they don't know is how much it will make them work harder and better and more connected to you as a manager, to the team and to the organization. So I think that's a piece that, that many managers miss all the time. And it feels, if you're not a touchy-feely manager, it feels really forced and unfortunate. If you feel it's forced, then do it, force it. Do it every Friday at 10. Friday at 10 is when everyone needs to show up for this one thing on the Zoom and you do something silly and it is what you do. But it's one of those things that will really drive your employee engagement and also drive the compassion because I can't have compassion for you if I don't know you. I, you know, I would love, I can have some compassion for you, but I have a lot more compassion if I know that Sarah's, you know, father is in the hospital. And that's why Sarah's being so late to getting me these numbers that I need. So what does this mean? This means I either can get on Sarah's case, which I can, I can say, hey, Sarah, I know what's going on. Can you get me those numbers? And she says, yes. Or I can know that I need to start earlier to make sure I get those numbers from Sarah. So, but if I don't know what's going on, Sarah, I'm just pissed that Sarah isn't giving me what I need so I can get done what I need to get done. We're all supposed to be a team here. What's going on? So that's, I think that's something that managers really underestimate the power of. And you mentioned this in the first 30 seconds. I didn't forget it, but you talked about um, having compassion and you're able to work with people who are facing difficult situations. And so talk to me a little bit about that. Something, say something happens a uh, family member sick or someone dies, uh, but you really need something, right? So it's a pretty delicate situation. Uh, how would you kind of go about uh, discussing it with the manager that has to decide on what to do? Sure. So I think the first thing is I always tell people say something. 
right? You have to, you have to break the ice. Do not let it be like, you know, that this employee's father is in the hospital and you haven't said anything for three weeks. That's really bad form. And that's, you know, again, your team is watching you. Sarah has told everyone on the team that you haven't said anything. So you're losing respect every day that you don't say anything. Um, So I often say, say anything and don't say, here's what a lot of managers say. They say two things. One, they say, um, you know, when an employee has cancer or is uh, grieving, though, take all the time you need. Do not leave it open like that. Because when you say you mean in the moment, you mean take all the time you need. But when they're not at work three weeks later and you don't know when they're coming back. You didn't, you realize you didn't mean to take all the time <laughs> yeah. you need, right? Yeah. So, so, and for some employees, they'll be back the next day. Other employees will take all the time that they need because you said take all the time that they need. Um, the other thing I tell managers not to say is don't say, if you need anything, let me know. And there's, it's a very common phrase. I used it all the time before my husband got sick and after he died. And there's four specific reasons. One, because you're not connecting. So that connection is really important. And that means that you need to take the time to honor what they're going through. So it means you say a phrase like, I'm really sorry this is happening to you. Or, you know, you say, I'm so stunned. I don't even know what to say. Right. So those are really powerful statements that don't fix anything, that don't go into action. It's just acknowledging that where they are sitting right now is a not fun place to sit. Then the next thing, the the second reason is what is anything? It's too big a word, right? I mean, you know, Pranay, I could probably get you to do it because you have toddlers. But at the time my husband was sick, I had a toddler. And did anything mean that you're going to go to the preschool and pick up my vomiting toddler? And even though you do have a toddler, you're like, I don't want your toddler getting my toddler sick, right? So you, that exactly. (laughs) So, you know, that may not be, and you're anything, you're anything, maybe like, hey, um, I can drop off a bottle of wine for you, or I'll send over, you know, we have some extra formula in the house. I don't know if you have any formula, but here, just in case, right? So, so anything is too big a word. The third reason it's not helpful is now you're asking the person who's already under great duress to figure out what you mean by anything to break apart their day. And let's just say they do break apart their day and they find that one thing. Now you're asking them to do something which most in Western, and actually I can even say this for some other under, you know, uh, developing countries, most of us are not good at asking for help. Mm -hmm. And now you're asking someone who's under a great amount of duress to raise their hand and go, um, Hey, so do you, do you mind going to the preschool to pick up my toddler? Is that what you meant? Like, and you know, it's way too uncomfortable. So that's the first thing. I think the second thing we already touched on is making sure that you have dealt with your own stereotypes. I see this a lot when I tell people I'm a widow. My husband has been dead for 13 years and they still feel like I'm crying every day, right? Because there's no, they don't have any idea or any scope of what it means to be a widow this far down the line. Um, so they have made up in their mind what it means based on what they've seen on TV and TV shows the first two, three weeks of widowhood. They don't show, you know, the, the, the growing, the, the, the beyond that. Um, so being really clear on what your stereotypes are and then making sure you can assess the situation. So as a manager, that piece is what we're talking about right now. You come in, you invite the employee into your department into your office or whatever, Zoom, wherever you are, meeting room, whatever. And you sit down, you say, okay, 
I know this is happening in your life and you don't have to apologize again or say, I'm sorry, because you already did it because you already, they know that, you know, right. And let's figure this out. Let's figure out what you have on your plate. Let's figure out, you know, I, you know, I, I would love you. Some people may say, oh no, I, I can work. I'm fine. And I know you can, and I'm sure you can, but I also know from personal experience or from watching others that your brain is not going to be fully engaged at work. And that's okay. So let's figure out how we can get the stuff done that needs to get done and what we can pull off your, off your plate momentarily, right? So the employee then feels two things. One, they feel extremely cared about. So you're putting the compassion into action. Um, so they feel cared about. They may be a little defensive because they may not want to realize that this big thing is happening to them and they can't do it all. Um but they're going to eventually kind of go, okay, no, he's right. I really can't do it all. Um, so, the, and then they feel cared for. So the, so when you, when you're doing that, when you're having those kind of honest conversations, then you can start to take what I call thoughtful action. So then you can start to say, okay, y'all team wise, you know, you, you check in with the person. Can I share what's happening with the team? So there's a lot of other, mm -hmm. there's a lot of other mm -hmm. questions and conversations that happen, but you know, you find, so let's say the guy says, yeah, you can share it with the team. So, Hey guys, you know, Tom's dad's in the hospital. He's going to have to be spending a lot of time there. Um, so this is what we've worked out. These are the pieces that need to get covered. Let's talk about who's going to do what and when. And the other key piece of that is you make sure that you honor and support the people who are taking on the extra work. Because there is nothing, there's a really quick way to damage the team. And that is to get, divide that work up and not honor who is not say thank you to the people and reward the people who are taking on the extra work. Because then you, one or two things, they either get mad at you or they get mad and they're resentful of the person who is, who had to give up some of that work, but is still showing up at work, right? So it's a, it's a very, um, delicate dance, but it absolutely can be done. So that's what I would advise someone to do in those situations. This requires courage. Being a manager requires courage. And that's not like, you know, her, actually, I can even say it's Hercule, Hercules courage, but <laughs> it's, you know, Hercules wasn't always strong. He had mm -hmm. to get himself into a place where he knew this was the right thing to do. And so I think sometimes managers forget that courage isn't like, I got this. Courage is, oh crap, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Okay, I got to figure this out. Okay, 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 okay. I, I don't even know what the next, I know what the next step is. We're going to go with this and we're just going to go from there. It's just taking that leap of faith. It's trying your best to be who you want to be. And it's taking that leap of faith. And so I think that's what this dealing with employees or having compassion on your team is really all about. It's about the courage to try stuff and to fail and to try it again. That's an amazing place to end this. So one last question that I ask sure. everyone. If there's something that you wish you would have spent more resources on, time or money, Ooh. when you first started entrepreneurship, what would that be? Oh, wow. Um, a coach. I think I underestimated how important it was to have someone who would call me out when I'm BSing myself um, and who would cheer me on and motivate me to get the things done I needed to do. So absolutely 100% a coach. 
Awesome, Kim. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you for sharing your story. Uh, tell us where, uh, if someone wants to reach out to you, wants some help, some coaching, where's the best place to send them? Sure. So best place to send them is actually LinkedIn. I am all over LinkedIn. So please reach out to me on LinkedIn. If you are wondering what other four things never to say to an employee dealing with cancer loss or any type of tragedy, you can go to 100actsoflove.com backslash what not to say, all one phrase. And you can download the four other things not to say and what to say instead. Um, you can also reach out to me. I'm always available info at 100actsoflove.com. And that's the number 100. And I'm also on Instagram as well as at 100x of love. Uh, 100x of love. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you have any questions or would like to follow me, please sign up for my newsletter at frommd.com. 